0: Hello beautiful human. Thank you for joining shit you don't want to talk about. We're stoked to have you be a part of the conversation changing shit you don't want to talk about into shit to talk about. This show was created to have us open our minds and learn about new perspectives even when we don't agree with them. Please be advised. Episodes can discuss content that is not suitable for all listeners and it can be triggering opinions of our guests expressed on the show are their own they do not necessarily represent the views of myself or the show there are a few ways we could really use your support please share your favorite episode especially send them to someone that could really use the content we talked about donate on paypal and patreon subscribe and rate the show iTunes and Spotify and follow on social media and join the conversation. It's shit to talk about That's shit. The number two talk about links are in the episode description. Hey Courtney, thank you for joining shit. You don't want to talk about today. And can you please introduce yourself and what shit
1: you want to talk about today? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So my name is Courtney McCarthy. I am the owner and founder of Loyabo Fit, which stands for Love Your Body Fitness. I am an ACE certified group fitness instructor and mindset coach. And I'm here to talk about my history with depression and generalized anxiety disorder. Yay. Is that <laughs> it? Like, do we say yay? We're like so excited. To sure. Yeah. That. I mean, I, I I love the the premise of your podcast, um, and I've done a lot of different podcasts, I and mean, this is the first one where I've really gotten to dive into this particular topic. And I think that um, it's it's not something that's talked about enough, especially like openly without taboo and covering all the different facets. So I'm so excited to dive in today. Yay!
0: That part I can say yay for. <laughs> I. And I I know that in our intro call, we we did dive dive in a bit um into like how we you got to this point. I think before we really go through, and I think the depression will probably interlingle mingle with this is so you
1: own a gym. And how did that happen? Yeah, yeah. Um yeah we can dive into the history and the story as much as you like uh, i'm definitely not what you would call a typical fitness professional and that i think there's a lot of people in our industry who you know grew up as an athlete and then went to school right out, out of the gates for you know something like kinesiology and then and always knew that they were going to be in fitness that was not at all the path that i took um, I actually have a master's in public policy and public administration, if you can believe it or not, <laughs> like the furthest thing. Um, but in my journey, especially as a young adult, as a woman in her 20s, that's when my issues of body dysmorphia and um, really an obsession with weight loss and being in a toxic relationship where my weight you know, was blamed for some of our intimacy issues, um, it was at that point that I... Discovered Zumba. That was my always joke. That was my gateway drug into fitness. Um, And I, it was at that point that marked the turning point for me in my relationship with movement. In that, this woman that I took this class with modeled for me and created for the first time that I'd ever experienced a safe space where it wasn't about burning calories, it wasn't about, you know, how you looked, it was about experiencing the joy of of dancing, of moving your body, of feeling sexy, of having a blast and connecting with a group of other women. And with her encouragement, that kind of became my mission is I wanted to give the gift that she gave me to other women, especially to, to really learn how to feel good in their bodies. So yeah. (laughs) And,
0: and I can so relate with that. I've, I've, Taken random dance classes, and one that I absolutely fell in love with. And I'm not sure people realize how hard it is. It's pole dancing. Oh my god, I did.
1: I did that for like six.
0: Oh no, we lost audio. We're
1: back. Okay.
0: Yeah, like I was, it so shocking. We were talking about pole dancing. We lost audio over
1: it. I know. So I took that for six months. It is, it is killer. Like on your body, you need, you need to those. The the people who do that are so unbelievably strong.
0: Yeah, and I, I just, and I, I love that there are classes now. Yet, ah, uh, to with the fact of like body dysmorphia, I've definitely the way I've experienced that is. I've always been a bigger girl. Um, There was a time uh, that I'll say it in US metrics, but um, I weighed roughly 250 pounds, and the lowest I've been is roughly uh, about 150. And right now, at this moment, I'm between 185 and 190, and at my thinnest. I thought I was disgusting at my biggest I thought I was disgusting and the entire time I've always been so jealous of uh, pole dancers and strippers because they they're so okay with like showing their body yeah. and uh, can be nude and comfortable and comfortable with people looking at them and are so athletic and it it's something that finally now you know I'm in my I went one extreme to the other. Now I'm like in the middle um, that I'm actually comfortable with it. I'm like, I should probably work out a little more that that's what I tell myself. And then I'm like, you know, it's okay. If I take a break from fitness to go to a different direction and how like taking a pause on the Zumba side of things, how, when did this depression start showing up? No audio again. I
1: lost you. Oh,
0: that's okay. I, I think I can hear you. Yeah, I can hear you now. Okay, I'll keep it here just in
1: case. Um, I just wanted to quickly jump back in and talk about. Uh, that was exactly my experience as well. Um, so many people, especially if you feel like crap and if you have a poor relationship with your body, so many people see weight loss as the answer, as the thing that you know, if you lose weight, that's gonna fix everything. And I can similarly vouch for the same thing. I got to what many people would consider an ideal weight. I was like under 130, um, had a flat stomach, and I exactly as you described, like I still had tons of body issues. I struggled with my anxiety and You know, that's, that's part of my journey as far as opening the studio and why our mission is so body positive and and we don't talk about the numbers and we're really not about pursuing weight loss because through that, my personal experience, and then through a lot of research and and training myself is recognizing that, you know, it's not the answer and, and there's so many other facets to it. So to come back to your other question, as far as when, uh, I'll say my relationship with depression started. (laughs) um it started really young for me and um I, th- I feel like i've actually lived most of my life in the in kind of the orbit of of depression whether or not i actually was um fully there it was always kind of in the background um i would say my it first started when i was between like 11 and 14 so i i was bullied in elementary school and um really began to question my worth and who I was. And I lost that sense of belonging. And, you know, when you're that young, you don't know how to ask for help. And you kind of, I didn't know how not normal it was to feel the way that I felt. Um, And at the time, so when I got to high school, Um, I started self-mutilating as a way to cope with the feelings and the and the pain. Um, and at that point, I did end up finally having a conversation with my parents, letting them know kind of how bad things were. And that's when I got the official diagnosis when I was 14. So I was on medication for most of my teenage years, um, antidepressants, and was off of them in my early 20s and, you know, was able to solve a lot of the issues that I had with the extremely low mood, with the suicidal ideation that I had in my teens. However, in grad school, <laughs> when I was doing my master's, you know, anytime you kind of put your life in like a pressure cooker, that's when any underlying mental health issues are definitely going to come up and and pose much more of a problem. So. Um, that's when I received in grad school is when I received the generalized anxiety diagnosis. And there's actually some question as to whether or not that was always part of the the view. But um, I think especially in young women, um, there is a, uh, a knee-jerk reaction to diagnose depression without necessarily looking at the anxiety component. So uh, I realize now that the two of them go hand in hand with me. <laughs> And um, to kind of come full circle. So uh, I, I learned a lot quicker as an adult how to manage my anxiety and manage my depression um, when I was re-diagnosed in, in my early 20s. And then with COVID and again, the pressure cooker of being an entrepreneur and a small business owner who's had to go through many, many lockdowns and many, many pivots. Um, you know, the burnout of this year has definitely taken a toll on my mental health again. So we're kind of come in full circle in that I recently have returned back to medication uh, as a way to manage you know the the struggles that I've had with my mood and with feeling low and uh, you know we can talk about what that part was like too as far as like how how it feels to you know get over the hump and maybe feel like you're you're fixed and you got it under control and then (laughs) recognizing that for many of us the reality is It's going to always be a lifetime journey and there'll be times when it's better and you don't need the meds. And then times when, you know, it's going to come back around and you go, Oh, I need a little bit of a a lift. (laughs) I need, I need some extra support during this phase of my life. So it's been a long journey, but. (laughs) I can only imagine. And I'm I'm
0: grateful you're here. And Mm. I can, a lot of your story, at least for myself is very relatable. Uh, when I was 10 and I'm mentioning this because especially for, um, those with born with the reproductive parts of, of a woman, um, because they are the ones that have to go through the, the, a lot of times go through the periods and, you know, yeah. puberty. So I don't want to say that it's not all people or anything like that. I just know for myself, um, Well, for majority of teenage girls, they start their period anyway, between the age of 13 to 17. And I started mine when I was 10. Mm -hmm. So what normally happens is you start your period somewhere before or after that, you start growing (laughs) boobs and, you know, um, hips and a bum. Yep. Yep. And the thing about puberty for me was I got the period. And it was killer. It started trying to kill me since the day after Christmas when I was 10 and only my right breast developed. So my left one was just flat. It was like nothing. And it never developed. And I was made fun of so much. Oh, kids are awful. They are. Why would you call someone loppy? Like, don't be a douche. Like, seriously, like, I'm not going to go like judge somebody if they're, you know, like, mm-hmm. Why? Especially and, for
1: something like that—that's so outside of your control.
0: Yeah. So I, they, uh, the doctors also put me on birth control to help manage my um, my hormones. By the time I was eleven or twelve, mm-hmm. and so I started learning to stuff my bra and all of that. And then when I was fourteen, they put me on antidepressants. They didn't necessarily diagnose me with anything. They just were like, your mom says you're depressed. Here Uh, you go. Let's give you some pills. And even now talking to psychiatrists, we're not really sure if it's the hormones and the birth control, the hormones and the um, antidepressants or the um, just the shitty upbringing I had. I became very heavy on self-mutilation and, um, suicide attempts. And it was the type of thing that I didn't start getting this figured out until my thirties. And I, as you were mentioning that hump of like going and starting to take medication again, I was against medication because I was like, no, 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 no. This is going to make me suicidal. I can't do that. No, no. Well, no, no,
1: no. we're about the same age, I think, based on based on the, some of the ages that you just touched on, um, and it means that we, after we were put on medication that young, um, there was a ton of research that came out about the dangers of putting young kids on antidepressants for the increased risk for suicide ideation. Now, I was lucky enough in that. Um, the specific brand that I was on didn't increase those thoughts. However, it's on the like super bad list now of like, do not prescribe to kids under the age of 18. And I was on the highest possible dose that you could be on. And it really does. Um, anybody who's listening, who, who's struggling with the choice of medication. Cause I 100% agree with you. It's, it was a very physically awful decision. I, it gave me, other really awful physical side effects when i was that young i want to really empower you to ask questions that that's a huge difference from where i'm at now with this current round of medication versus where i was at then and i know it can be so hard when you're that age right because no one's advocating for you and and you're kind of being told what to do by these like medical authorities but there are so many options out there now and you can find medications that are a better fit for you if you're experiencing negative side effects and you don't have to settle. And, you know, yeah, just, just give yourself permission to ask questions and not be put on something that you don't feel comfortable with. Do the research, advocate for yourself because it the brand of medication and the type can really make it a, a total game-changing difference. I 100% agree
0: and a part of that is you, you and I spoke about this before of there's this stigma that if you eat better and if you work out a ton it's going to just fix all of your depression and anxiety and I I found for myself that it was definitely a struggle in the fact that I was doing all of those things. That was partially how I got to the smallest uh, place I was at and uh, weight wise. And it didn't change anything. It just made it go. I need to do more. I need to do harder. Like I'm (laughs) never your obsession shifts. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Instead of how do I lose weight? How do I keep it off? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and it's the type of thing that um, when I actually started taking it seriously, like I, Realized that I um, was all over the board. Like, you no, know, my entire life, I've always been all over the board. Like, uh, and I was undiagnosed with ADHD because, again, mm. as you were so mentioning, yeah. yeah, especially in women, uh, that during when we were teenagers, it, they did not realize that ADHD shows up differently in girls compared to boys. Yeah. And as an adult, they were like, hey, you're bipolar type two, you have anxiety, you have ADHD. And I'm like, I just want to fix the ADHD. That's all. That's that's all I have. I'm just ADHD. That's it. <laughs> Give me the Adderall. I'll be good. I can do life. Yeah. And only after my craniotomy in 2020 did I really realize that I had to go on a mood stabilizer for my bipolar type two and for my depression and anxiety. And it's so much, I'm much more stable. Yes. Mm -hmm. I still have my lows and I still have my highs because uh, with bipolar, that's, that's life. It's just, it's much more stable than before. And you, you said that it, it wasn't last year that you decided to go back on the medication. Actually,
1: this year, this uh, well, I guess technically we're in twenty twenty two now. Yes, So last in twenty (laughs) twenty one.
0: Okay, okay. Within the last year, (laughs) there we go. Within the last year, yeah. What made you actually like go
1: that route and decide that
0: that it's the right fit for you right now?
1: Yeah, and I think you know it. It totally relates to what you said too, as far as I have never used the word um, when it comes to like my moods and my, and my mental health is like, especially when it comes to the anxiety portion is I'm never, I'm never fixed. Like I'm never cured. (laughs) If that makes sense. I think that that is the expectation, especially if like you're getting your first diagnosis and, Um, you know, we talked a lot about this. It took me a long time. There's so much shame around. And as you said, stigma around some of these, um, you know, mental health issues and and diagnoses that at first, the idea that I am a depressed person felt so heavy. And there was so much shame and self-hatred and feeling less than, and again, feeling broken um, because I was someone who struggled with this, especially because I was the first person in my family to ever have these sort of issues, at least diagnosed and talked about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so a big part of it, of, of the language I tend to use now is I am someone with depression or I am somebody who has anxiety. Um, and I really want to differentiate of like me as a person and my worth, um, are separate from the mental health issues that I struggle with. And, and that to me is a really empowering stance to take. And I also use the word man- manage. I have tools to manage my depression. I have tools to manage my anxiety, but generally they're kind of like always hanging out. They're always my buds. <laughs> and do you know, as we've talked about, depending on what time in my life and what's happening in my life and the other stressors that I'm facing and, and the situations I find myself in they might have a more of a presence than others. So what really brought me to the decision to explore medication again, and it definitely was not something that came easily. Like (laughs) there was a lot of resistance, especially, um, you know, one of the medications that I was on in my twenties, which is part of the reason I bring up the advocacy, bit, because even in my twenties, I did not, ask enough questions. I had a doctor that wrote me a prescription, put me on this medication. I took it, started having like crazy side effects, including like my breath started leaking <laughs> and I was not pregnant. Like they start, I started getting discharged and I went back to her and I was like, uh, WTF. And she's like, oh, I didn't mention that that was a potential side effect. And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> no, I would distinctly remember that. Um, and then the more I researched the particular medication she had put me on, it had like all these crazy side effects and tons of negative reviews. And I was like, I should have asked more questions. I, you know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have just trusted her blankly. I needed to advocate for myself. So I had that experience in my mind and that was the last association I had with medicine medication. So I was like, oh my God, no. But, um, over the summer, it was the summer of 2021, how i knew that i needed that extra support is that the normal strategies and tools that i used to manage my mental health that normally would keep me in a stable place and would help pull me out of you know low places or or those those particular times of struggle stopped working meaning that i was doing all the things that i knew i should do that you know working out consistently i was eating in a way that really fueled my body. I was meditating regularly. I was journaling. I was in therapy. I was doing all the things, and they still just didn't work. My move, my mood was not improving, and if anything, it continued to get worse. And then, I had gone. Gosh, I had gone. I think over a decade without a suicidal thought. And then I had my first one and I was like, this is not okay. This is a hard line in the sand for me. Where like, if I'm having those sort of thoughts, I need, (laughs) I need, I need something else to come into the picture. And I'm actually really glad I did make the decision because as soon as I got on the medication, how I described it this time around was like, a fog lifted and even though i still struggled with mood it was i had the clarity back where i could um i could differentiate the depressive and the anxious thoughts from myself when you're in it it feels like it feels like it's just the truth that's all you can see that's all you're obsessed with you spiral so easily the loneliness is all you can see and the medication helped me pull back out and and have that understanding of like nope there's a difference between <laughs> the thoughts that i'm having versus what's real and and where i want to be and then again i can start using that those strategies and they started working more so that's how i kind of looked at it it's like <laughs> the medication didn't same thing it didn't fix the depression there's still a ton of work that i'm doing to try to get back to a better place but it helped it helped to provide me with that clarity that I needed for the tools to be able to work. If that make does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it definitely yeah. does. I
0: again, that is a very relatable situation for myself too. Um, with how, when uh, my partner and I first started dating, he is not someone that really takes any medications other than his insulin for diabetes. Like he's just like, oh. nope, I don't believe in them. Like I right, yeah. So I quit my Adderall cold turkey just because I was like, oh, I, back then I just like molded into whoever I was dating, who they wanted me to be. And I realized that that wasn't healthy for me. So that was when I was first diagnosed with, uh, or like went back and they were like, yeah, you can go back on your Adderall. Um, and then fast forward to 2020, that's all I'm taking. And I have my brain surgery and where the surgery was is on my right, uh, right behind my right temple. And that is where all your long-term memories are stored. Mm -hmm. So all the trauma from back in the day decided to come resurface and come (laughs) hang out. And
1: I was like, which is what you want after brain surgery, right? Yeah. Yeah. They like, (laughs) there's (laughs)
0: uh, there's not enough research to say that that would have even been a symptom afterwards. Like it wasn't something that they could have really been like, yeah, this is going to happen. Or I honestly, I'm like, well, I'm in a better place. Like I'm working through it. So I guess it's all good. <laughs> and I, uh, yeah, I found the the like um, my neurologist, they also had therapists and psychiatrists there. They got me on my medication, went on mood stabilizers. And then I moved from Arizona to Colorado during 2021. And Adderall is a controlled substance that cannot be prescribed or transferred between pharmacies, especially across state lines. Oh, wow. And so when I moved up here, I had to find a new doctor and I found a new doctor and they were like, hey, like we need to try two non-controlled substances before we give you your Adderall. And I'm like, but I know my Adderall works. Like, why am I going to mess with it if I know it works? And they were like, Hey, this is just policy. And I was like, okay, well, I'm out of my Adderall. So I guess, and within, they told me I had to be on it for four weeks. And within two weeks, I was downward spiraling. Like I'm still on my mood stabilizer. I'm still on my antidepressant, but whatever this medication was, it totally like screwed me up. So I finally convinced them. I'm like, Hey, just give me my Adderall back." I, that's all I'm asking for. Like, I know it works. I'm not trying to be a junkie. I just know it works. And they, um, they put me on a medication that looks very similar, like the, as the Adderall actual name, cause Adderall is a brand where right, they put yeah. me on a totally different medication. And I didn't realize it for a month or two. Cause I thought it was the same. And I'm like, huh, I wonder why this isn't really working the same. Like, hmm. I mean, I'm not as bad, but it's just, I'm not as concentrated. I'm still like all over the board. And that's when I realized that they didn't give me the Adderall. And I was just like, you know, I can't, I can't trust that. Like, you guys already fought me like to do. And I'm like, I already understand that I'm like, what actually works with me. And I ended up going to a new hospital here in, um, in Colorado. And they're like, Hey, we're just going to like retest you for everything. But it sounds like, you know, Adderall is going to be your best bet. Your mood stabilizer sounds like you're doing good. And they're like, huh, you also have PTSD. So you gotta work through that too. And I'm like, all right, I guess that's cool. Whatever. <laughs> this is not a new medication. And they're not trying to completely flip everything that I figured out worked upside down. And what I was hearing from you and also my own experiences is doctor visits and doctors and medications are not all created equally. There are people you click with not click with. And how did you have that conversation with your current doctor? Like to like, what kind of questions did you ask before you went on this medication this time around?
1: Yeah. And I think it was, it was a combination of both what I asked and also like, independent research that I did on my own. Uh, I mean, I'm very thankful in that when it comes to speaking with professionals <laughs> about my mental health, there's, like, no shame in my game anymore. Like, I'm just like, this is what's up. This is what I need. You know, I, I try to be as blunt as possible because I, you know, because of those past issues and and how I've learned to advocate myself, I just want to, like, get right to the you know, to the point of the visit. So I did feel comfortable saying, you know, I'm having not so great thoughts. I need some assistance. So I also made sure to fully disclose my concerns. I told her everything that had happened to me before on these previous medications, going right back to the first ones that I was on in high school. I talked about my hesitancy. I talked about the fear that I had about the negative side effects and how I really wanted to avoid them. And I was very grateful in that this doctor, while I have other issues with her, while I had other issues with her and some of the the beliefs and the values that differed from mine, she really did hear me. So when she um, told me what medication that she wanted to try me on, she talked about why, why, like how it was different from the two previous um, or the three previous brands that I had been on. Um, and related it back to those risks, you know, saying that, you know, this one um, was shown to have less risk of this physical symptom. It's, it's, you know, more likely to do why she even talked about, um, you know, that she was putting me on one that only worked at serotonin production rather than um, I forget the exact term, but there's another type that inhibits another type of hormone. And so she's like, let's just try you on that because that will have less side effects. So that even brought me to a place of comfort in, in feeling heard. And, you know, it's great that you did what you did as far as like, exactly like seek out other doctors, <laughs> like just because, and I'm, and I'm in Ontario and I'm in Canada, which means our system works a little bit different in that, um, it can be quite hard to find, um, a family doctor, but just because it's hard, doesn't mean that you shouldn't still try you know, don't accept the first answer you're given, especially if somebody is making you feel not heard or giving you that idea of like, I know better than you in your, in in especially when it comes to your body and your mental health and what you need. Like go get a second and third opinion, like fourth opinion, whatever you need to do to, to feel like you can express what's going on in your body. And someone says like, I hear you, I see you, I believe you and meets you where you're at. So I also then, went home. She gave me the prescription. And even still, it took me two weeks from the time that I had the prescription to really feel comfortable actually going and filling it. And I gave myself that time. I said that that was okay. I went home. I then verified, like I, I took the name of the medication and the brand. I looked up reviews which I didn't realize was a thing. Thank God for the internet. Now there's reviews online for different brands. And I was like, this is fantastic. <laughs> so like real people who, who had negative experiences, who had positive experiences, which gave me, I feel like a much more relatable um, picture of what I was looking at, so to speak. Um, and hearing how it impacted like real lives who were struggling with similar things that I was. And I sat with it. I gave myself two weeks to sit with it. And you know, I had lots of conversations with my, with my husband, who, again, I'm so grateful for. He's been very supportive this whole time. And he also said, he's like, if, if, if this is not something you feel comfortable with, you don't have to. And as soon as I gave myself that permission to, to either not do it or do it, it made the choice so much easier. And it made it about my well-being. And that's how I was like, you know what, I'm going to try. And same thing, I gave myself permission. If I try this and I hate it, then I'm going to go off or I'm going to ask for something different. And, and I was on it for about six months and I recently did ask for a medication change because, you know, just like we talked about, like sometimes you find something that works and if it works for you and you don't need to be adjusted, fantastic. You can be on it your whole life. If that's what makes your your body feel best, but also don't be surprised if that isn't the case. And for me, it wasn't the case. I felt like the first six months or sorry, the first four months were great. And then things started to shift again and I wanted more for myself. So I started experiencing something called emotional blunting, which is where I didn't feel the negative thoughts, but I also was no longer feeling the true range of my positive thoughts. Like it felt like I was kind of just like there. (laughs) And I, and you know, I'm sure that a lot of people might experience that too on medication and think like, well, at least I don't have the negative thoughts. So I guess this is fine. And and I was like, "Uh uh-uh. I, again, I I want more. (laughs) I want to not have the negative thoughts and I want to still like enjoy spending time with my husband and feel good about that rather than like just being there. So same thing. I went back to my doctor and I said, you know, I'm really happy with the fact that I haven't had any crazy boob leakage or side effects like that, Yeah, (laughs) but I want more. And so we, we, again, she really talked about exactly what I was experiencing and exactly, you know, the aspects of the medication that I wanted to tweak and improve. She listened and suggested anyone. And I went through the same process, meaning I took it home, did the research, sat with it for, I think the same thing. I think I only sat with it for a week this time and decided to go through with it. And, and I'm making sure to have regular follow-ups with her throughout this process to keep doing the same thing, to keep checking in with myself feeling how I feel, having conversations with her and making sure it is really a good fit. I, a big part that
0: you, you talked about that. I think a lot of us in general, don't think about when it comes to our mental health is the hormones behind it. And it's a hormone balance or imbalance or changes And this is, it definitely can be very, very complex and take time to find, especially I, I am not a per like a medical professional, so I can only imagine like those that are transitioning or, you know, because they're taking hormones Mm -hmm. that it may actually be a bit different for them. And their journey of going through this would be a lot different. And as well as I'm a female, a cisgender female, and I have very high testosterone and PCOS, and that's going to affect me a lot
1: differently than someone else that doesn't. Yeah. Um, Definitely, depending on where I'm at in my cycle, absolutely impacts you know, how I'm feeling on a given day. So, uh, and I was, and it actually was an educational component for me as well, because I think that same thing with our age. Like, I think that medication has come a really long way. So the medication that she has me on now is actually not an SSRI. And I was like, there are non-SSRIs antidepressants. And that was new to me. So I'm on now, I'm trying a dopamine um, antidepressant. And I'm like, cool. Like, so even just knowing like, having that knowledge of of like there's just so many options now <laughs> like mm-hmm. there's just so many so like it can and don't and don't don't take that on again as like a uh uh a failure of yourself if the first one doesn't work if the 15th one doesn't work like your body is a magical being and there's so many different variables as you said that might go into it hormones you know genetics you know your metabolism all of these things can impact how a medication works in your body and it's okay to, for it to take, a. it's like dating, right? It's okay for it to take a little while for you to like feel out which one's your soulmate medication <laughs> and maybe Agreed. It's not, and that's okay too. Agreed. And,
0: and adding to that, I know just, uh, so at the end of February, so for all of those listening, we are recording in the beginning of February, 2022. And at the end of February, I'm actually going to be having a hysterectomy and having a boob job to redo Loppy. Very oh. excited about this.
1: I feel, <laughs> and, I feel like you need to have like a, a celebration to say goodbye to Loppy.
0: <laughs> right. Well, I had uh, one implant done when I was 17, just to like cover it up. And yep. now I'm actually going to have them like match as best as a surgeon can. I'm very excited, mm-hmm. that is but exciting. I know also going into that, that a post-surgery depression, especially with plastic surgery. And that's considered a cosmetic surgery, even though I'm like, bro, it never developed. Um, but yeah, <laughs> it is something considered, uh, cosmetic that expectations a lot of times are set that people go into a depression afterwards. And also with my hysterectomy, that may cause a lot of different hormones as well mm-hmm. and cause that everything I know right now I think you go, right, when I get done and then I'll have to re go through this journey again. And those yes, are big changes, but there's been times in my life that they're very, very small changes that end up doing this. Yeah. So yes, to your point, medication is definitely a journey and it is not made for everybody. A lot of people really get a lot of support from it. A lot of people don't get support from it.
1: And there's just like, the reality is there's no right way to struggle with your mental health, right? There's no right way to be depressed. There's no right way to be an anxious person. Like there's just, you know, it's, it's, and it's what I say to my clients, even to When when you're thinking about a fitness journey, right? Like the only guarantee is in life that you're going to, is that you're going to experience change, right? And especially, yes, if you're in, if you're in a body with female reproductive organs, there's a lot of shit that's going to change your life you know, if you get pregnant, if you go through postpartum, perimenopause, and then menopause, like your hormones are going to change and all of those will impact you. And those are just like the major stages. Same thing. You've got a 28 day cycle, your hormones adjust and fluctuate, which means that, and as you always go through stressors, right? It means that the way that you feel and the way that medication works or the type of support you need, I will say may change, but I would say likely will change. Yes. <laughs> and yes. that's okay. It's okay to, if something worked and then it doesn't, it's okay. It doesn't mean that you're broken. It doesn't mean that you did something wrong. That's just life. Things change. Agreed. And, and you
0: actually kind of segued right into my next question. So this is great <laughs> is, our, what we need Going through and having these type of mental health, I hate the word issues. I'm still like, like challenges isn't much better, you know, know. like, (laughs) um, mental health buddies, that doesn't make it sound any better. Like trying to put a positive spin on it. But, uh, while we're having these mental health issues, what we need as support and the tools we have can change. Mm -hmm. And most likely, as you said, will change. Yeah. You mentioned at the very, very beginning to bring it all the way back around that you got into fitness by going to a Zumba class and really fell in love with being able to see that it was about experiencing it instead of the actual like fitness. Yeah. How did you go from that to starting your own company and business? And then also, how has the support you've
1: needed changed throughout that journey? Yeah. It's a great question. Um, so as I mentioned, Zumba was my gateway drug and that's what, um, opened the doors and allowed me to see a different way of relating to my body, especially as it came to exercise. Now, this was also not like, you know, this happened and I was same thing. I was just fixed. (laughs) It it was still a self-discovery process. Um, but it you know through zumba i started to feel comfortable in the gym again i felt like i deserved to be at the gym and then i started exploring lifting weights and lifting weights i will say was it was another huge moment for me because both dance through zumba and also through lifting weights became major tools for managing my anxiety um especially lifting weights became something that i could channel the like energy that would go into a thought spiral (laughs) you know I always joke that if you're underneath a massive dumbbell or a massive you know weight bar you are not thinking about the what-ifs you're thinking about getting that up and not crushing yourself (laughs) yeah so it became it became a way especially as an anxious person where my thoughts could be very chaotic and and you know very one directional at the same time of like obsessing about something The the gym and lifting weights and being in the moment could was something that definitely could quiet my mind so i saw how positive a role that fitness and movement can play in managing your mental health and in feeling better and at the same time it went hand in hand with as far as healing my body dysmorphia it taught me the power especially as a woman someone who identifies as a woman feeling strong in my body was a complete new thing, you know, especially growing up in the nineties where like, it was cool to look like, you know, a cocaine (laughs) low riders. (laughs) I hated those. Well, just like very, very tiny with nothing on you. You know, I, I remember having thoughts all the time of like, Oh, you don't want to look muscular. That's not womanly. That's not feminine. And as soon as I realized what it was like to, feel strong, like not about the looks at all, but to like to feel strong in my body, to to be able to lift things, to be able to, you know, feel capable, that also was a huge mental health game changer because I could, I, again, I was relating to my body in a, in a new way. And for so much of mental health, as much as we think it's all going up on up here between our eyebrows, you know, <laughs> The somatic element, which is learning how to feel your feelings physically in your body, learning that link became, again, a huge strategy and a huge tool in my toolbox. So what happened for me as far as why I decided to become an entrepreneur and and open my own studio was, you know, I was having all these personal revelations about my (laughs) my relationship with fitness. And at the time, I, I had started teaching. So I'd become a Zoom instructor and and gotten my group fitness certification. And I was teaching in other gyms, especially a lot of like the big box gyms. I won't name names, but the big box gyms. And I started seeing the disconnect of like the things that I was learning and the approach that I was taking to my clients and how I showed up in my classes and what I wanted them to walk away with was absolutely at odds with what the majority of the industry around me if not almost all of the industry around me, like the the gym environment was so toxic and I kind of equated to like an alcoholic going into a bar. If you're trying to make these sort of changes in the relationship with your body, and you're going somewhere, that's constantly pushing the message of you need to be thin. You need to lose weight. There's only one form of being beauty and healthy and strong and desirable. It's pretty much like impossible to feel better about yourself. right? so the longer I worked there, the more I was just like, it's not enough that I could create a safe space in my class for the people who came to my class. I was like, I want to create and show that it's possible a safe space from the ground up, meaning that as soon as you walk in, the entire premise and the values behind it were different. So um, it's why L'OEA buffet stands for Love Your Body Fitness, as I said, you know, our our guiding mission is to use fitness and movement, especially what we call joyful movement, which is movement for no other purpose than it makes you feel good and brings you joy. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't matter what you look like, doesn't matter what kind of movement it is. We explore lots of non-traditional types of movement here. Um, you know, the, the purpose is really to use fitness as a foundation for feeling good in your body, to healing your relationship with your body, to feeling confident, and definitely that mental health component. So we also don't just focus on movement. We, we talk a lot about mindset. We do a lot of techniques from like cognitive behavioral therapy, where we're talking about, you know, challenging those assumptions, being aware of diet culture and these you know, fat phobic biases that play into your perception of self that play into how you look at yourself, how to be forgiving, how to be compassionate, how to use all of these tools that are available to us as a way to feel better about your body, to feel better about yourself, to build your confidence, as I said, to, to feel more in control of your health and what that looks like for you. And to be able to, again, advocate for yourself and, and not just accept the vision that we're given of like, again, health equals, you know, eat, eat less, move more, look a certain way. It's like, no, 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 no. (laughs) In the same way that we've been talking about of like, no, different medications work for you. They're going to work for different times in your life. It's the exact same thing with health and fitness, right. Of like, you have to define what works for you in your life. And that's kind of like an evolving, you know, ever growing thing, as well as like what, what's healthy for you now may not be what's healthy for you in 10 years. And we we have the power to decide that. Nobody else has the right to tell you what is best for you and your body. And those are the sort of skills that, that we wanna teach. And I will say, if there is any entrepreneurs or small business owners out there, um, especially like, obviously I didn't uh, think about a global pandemic being a possibility when I opened my gym. <laughs> Uh, that was definitely not one of the scenarios I went through or the risks that I went through. Um, It has been both single-handedly the most challenging experience of my life, but also the most worthwhile and rewarding at the same time. I I have learned more in these last four years than, (laughs) you know, I've got six years of schooling under my belt. This by far tops it as far as like return on investment of personal growth and and I think, too, it's it's taught me a lot about myself and my mental health and and my relationship to my body and and same thing you know that I just spoke about, like the the biases and assumptions that I had and the stories that I had. So, I'm really grateful. even even though <laughs> the struggle of the entrepreneurship got me back on medication, I'm still really grateful for it because I feel, you know, and you can say the same thing if you're listening, you know whether or not it's entrepreneurship or not, any challenging period that you go through in your life it's worth it if you come out ahead in the sense of like, have you learned? Have you grown as a person? Because for me, I'm not the same person that I was when I first opened the studio and I'm so appreciative of that. So I'm going to take all the things that I learned with me and keep trying to be better and keep trying to, you know, help and make a difference in the ways that I can. So yeah, it's been a wild ride. I bet. I bet
0: and and to make sure that we cover all bases, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't talked about
1: yet? No, not specifically. I mean, if if anybody who's listening has any questions about joyful movement cuz that could be like a whole other, you know, sidebar <laughs> conversation, please reach out to me. I'd love to to share resources with you because as I said, it was a changing, learning how to change my relationship with my body and, and especially my relationship with exercise. Um, as far as managing my, my anxiety and depression, absolute game changer. And I, something that's
0: popping into my mind quite a bit as we've been going through all this, and I've been waiting for the specific question of what are some words of wisdom, but what are some words of wisdom that you would want to tell your employees, your clients, and yes, our audience as well, but, More specifically, the people you interact with day in, day out, because you're not only an entrepreneur, you're a leader Mm -hmm. in your, in your space and, you know, being a role model is so important. So what would you say to those individuals?
1: Yeah, I think the most powerful advice that I, that I always come back to and, and words that I want anybody who ever interacts with me to kind of take away with them, uh, is that you're not broken. There are so many industries, when it comes to like the fashion industry and the beauty industry and the fitness industry and the diet industry that want you to believe that that's true, that it's your fault, that, you know, the reason you struggle or the reason that you don't fit the mold or the reason that things haven't worked for you is because of your failures right? It's you, you're not hardworking enough. You're not, you don't have enough willpower. You weren't, you know, strong enough. You couldn't, you couldn't follow through. And the longer that I, that I'm doing what I do and the more time that I spend coaching people and helping people through their journeys, like that's the biggest thing that you need to remember is like, you're not broken. You are being presented often with solutions or a formula to feel better that, that, that's broken the system is broken. The industry is broken. So as much as it's easy for me to say, it absolutely is a journey, but like, stop blaming yourself. It's, it's not, it's not you. It's them. (laughs) I like it. I like it. You can break up with the broken system. Yeah. And as soon as you do that, it, it, again, it, it opens up a whole nother world of relating, as I said, to your body to your mental health, to your diagnosis, to the solutions and the tools that are out there, it it, it puts the power back in your hands.
0: And I know you mentioned this a little bit ago, but
1: just to make sure we got it covered, what are ways that people can reach out to you? Yeah, so the I'm I'm big on Instagram right now. I love Reels, <laughs> <laughs> so you can find us at Loyalfoot, which is L O Y O B O F I T. And uh, it's the same for our website, loyobuffet.com. We are also on Facebook at loyobuffet. Um, and if you want to reach out to me personally, it's my name, Courtney, C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y at loyobuffet.com. Especially if you have questions around, you know, as you can probably tell by this podcast, I'm a very open book and I never want people to feel alone. So if there's something that you're going through that that you relate to in my journey and you want to talk and just have somebody that will listen. I'm always here. Amazing. And last but not least, what is something
0: that you're grateful for?
1: Oh, such a, such a good question. When you told me this was coming, I was like, Oh, um, I will say that I'm going to, I'm going to cheat this question. I'm going to say two things. (laughs) All right. (laughs) I I like it. I will say my husband, I have to start off with that. And that, you know, again, any entrepreneurs know that, you are not an entrepreneur in a vacuum that it yeah, that it absolutely <laughs> permeates every aspect of your life and you know he's i'm I'm so grateful to have him because he's allowed me to go on this journey and been such a pillar of support where like I didn't have to worry about you know our relationship when the rest of my life was was very messy um, but the other thing that I'm also grateful for is community and that's both my community that I've made here through our studio, um, but also community of fellow entrepreneurs and small business owners, and also people like you, Jen, who you know are willing to create platforms and opportunities and safe spaces to have these sorts of conversations. I think that in my younger years, I had this idea that I did have to do it alone and, Again, that that things were so taboo to talk about, and I think the the older I get, the more I recognize that it's sure you could try to do it alone, but it's so much better if you don't. (laughs) Yes, yes, so much better to be able to, you know, have friendships and and connect with other people and and have that sense of belonging and and seeing yourself in other people. So those those have been the two things that, especially over the last two years with crazy pandemic life those are the things that keep getting me through to the next day. (laughs) I love it. And, and for
0: myself, a, a piece of gratitude for today would be something I've been thinking about a lot is there are people that help so much that you can never repay of giving you a hand up. I I definitely want to say a hand up because I've, I've moved in with friends when I got out of bad relationships. I've uh kindness of people show up all around the world when I've traveled and it's it's so much that I used to feel so guilty because I would never mm. figure out how to pay them back and I I don't even remember who told me this and they're like you never have to pay it back yeah. just pay it forward and that is I'm just grateful for having the ability now with the podcast, with the platform to be able to pay it forward where I wasn't always in that spot. and I may not be in the future. and that is something that's so beautiful is we as a human race, we are all about community and taking care of one another. and this podcast is it's The biggest purpose of it is to make sure we know we're not alone Mm -hmm. because, yes, sometimes we choose
1: to do it alone.
0: (laughs) Yet, I know for myself, many times I felt alone. Yeah. And that is the biggest reason that this podcast was created. So I am so grateful for being able to give it forward.
1: Yes. Well said. That was, that was beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Well Well done. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Courtney, for being on the show today. Take care. Thank you
0: for having me. Have a good one. Hello again, beautiful human. What did you get out of today's episode? We'd love to hear what was most impactful to you. We all know someone that could have really used this episode. So please send it their way. Remind them that they're not alone. Stay tuned for new episodes every wednesday here's a few ways that we could really use your support to keep shit you don't want to talk about going share an episode let's get the message out there donate on paypal or patreon subscribe and rate the show on itunes or spotify and follow us on social media shit to talk about shit the number two talk about bye